It's always nice for those of you who are arriving late. We, we invited you to turn your videos on if that's comfortable or doable with your bandwidth. It's just it's nice to be able to see familiar faces. In this weird and wonderful Zoom world. I'm happy to say that I've started teaching in-person retreats again. And I have to say, it's surprise, surprise, quite lovely <laughs> to be with live human beings. I mean, you're live, but you're, you know, you're a your postage stamp size uh, rectangle box with a face in it, or some of you have faces and most of you just names. And uh, I've been teaching how many now? Three, I think I've taught one, two, three nature retreats this this month. It's been a full teaching. I'm teaching another one uh, today down the Big Sur coast. And um, quite delightful to be back with community, with Sangha, with friends, and um, meditating together, supporting each other, being outdoors together, feeling supportive this beautiful earth and, um, and I hope for you that at some point you're able to find a community center sangha somewhere near or far where you can practice um, with others just raise your hand if you are actually sitting in person with other live human beings not obviously on the same couch as you but like going to some kind of sangha community anybody uh, going to live groups yet just wave your hand. Okay, one. There's a lot of. There's a couple. Okay. Good. And a few other people raise their hands. You can raise your hand if you are going to. to great. All right. Well, may it be so for you soon um, as, uh, as things ease up and open up, at least in some places. And um, yeah, it's something very powerful about coming together as we do here on Monday night, even on Zoom. So I thought given I've been teaching so much in nature, I'll share a little about Dharma nature practice and its integration. Some of you have probably been on nature uh, programs with me and um, it's my passion, my love, my Dharma, my calling at this point and um and it's a beautiful place to practice outdoors really this was where the buddha practiced where monks and nuns for thousands of years and, and hermits in the mountains of china and japan and the forests of southeast asia and um, elsewhere in northern india <clears throat> have been meditating under the trees, under the moon, in the deserts, by the waters. Um, and of course, indigenous um, cultures have been, of course, immersed in nature and uh, doing spiritual contemplative practice and ritual and ceremony for, for millennia. And um, so I want to share a few 
things about that and some poetry. This is a few lines from a poem from Lynn Ungar in a poem called Camas Lilies. And she says, she's talking about, um, and she says, and you, what of your rushed and useful life? Imagine setting it all down, papers, plans, appointments, everything, leaving only a note, gone to the fields to be lovely, be back when I'm through with blooming gone to the fields to be lovely, gone to the forest to be lovely, gone to the meadows and the ocean and the beach and the canyons and the park and your back garden to be lovely. Be back when you're done with blooming, whatever blooming looks like for you. So that's what I think of partly what we do when we uh, immerse uh, in a contemplative way. So my, the work that I do is uh, through Awake in the Wild. First book um, was of that name, uh, Mindfulness in Nature as a Path of Self-Discovery. And I've been meditating myself outside probably for the last 30 years and teaching uh, mindfulness and Dharma practice for the last 20 years outside. And um, it's really the only place I want to be teaching because Dharma, which means nature, the natural law, is so self-evident, so not self-evident when we're in the outdoors. Um, and, you know, the reason I started teaching outdoors was I, as I sat outdoors, meditated, did my own retreats outdoors, I realized that all the wisdom teachings particularly of the buddha since that was the my wisdom practice wisdom teaching tradition um all of those teachings were so accessible and available and obvious and 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 uh, i was gonna say shouting from the treetops but not shouting just waving the teachings of impermanence I just listen to the sound of the restless wild ocean there's never two moments the same no two sounds no two waves no two moments of light of color of form the poet kabir wrote when the eyes and the ears are awake when the eyes and the ears are awake even the leaves on the trees read like pages from the scriptures. Even the leaves on the trees, even the flowers in your garden, even the bees in the roses, even the waves on the shore, even the clouds in the sky, even the moss draping from oak trees read like pages from the scriptures, as in our singing words of truth. And so there are many, many Dharma gates, as they say in Zen, many doorways to understanding the nature of experience, the, the, the nature of Dharma and all the Dharma of nature. And I can't help thinking that the Buddha's teaching was very much informed by the fact that he sat at the roots of trees, he meditated in the forest, woke up under two sal trees, taught for 45 years, often mostly probably in the forest, because that's what the mostly was in Northern India at that time, and died under uh, the trees. 
And so if you imagine, just like I've been doing recently camping, when you are actually outdoors for a period of time, the, the Dharma of nature, the wisdom of nature starts soaking into your bones. You know, we start to feel less separate, less isolated. You know, our homes, which are beautiful inventions, they keep us dry and warm and safe and protected and away from the bugs and the critters and predators and whatever else, um, ice storms and hurricanes. And, right? But they also shield us off from life from vitality, from energy, from movement, from dynamism, from color, from change, right? We, we try to build these houses to keep out change. <laughs> and any of the homeowners listening would go, yeah, good luck with that one. <laughs> Especially in America where most houses, at least on the West, in the West, are built with wood that are just forever decaying forever making their way back into the earth, right? For the, for the most part, we don't live with that sense of that dynamism of life, of the connectivity of life, of the intimacy with changing experience, right? Much, most stuff in our house doesn't change. And so we have this sense of life being static and in our control, which is not how life is. Life is wild untamed and fleeting and transient and contingent and intimately connected and when we're outside we can feel that like when I first started sitting here I was baking in the setting Sun and then the Sun went behind the marine layer fog and now it's cold <laughs> And it's beautiful to feel that connection, you know, from the from the you know from our mind, from my ego mind that has preferences. It's too hot and it's too cold. <laughs> I should go inside. It's more stable. The climate's more steady. That's why we have houses, control our environment. But it's also deadening. It's deadening to our senses. Literally, our our color range, our capacity to see color range is diminishing as we become an indoor species and a digital species. Our sense of smell is diminishing. Probably our auditory capacity is diminishing because we're not um, aware, we're not living in, 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 in the world, in, in nature that's so rich with variety and complexity. <clears throat> And of course, as we enter more deeply into the ecological crisis and the climate crisis and global warming, <clears throat> we are seeing, you know, the, the evidence of when we are living out of alignment with wisdom and truth, living disconnected from our nature, which is into intimately interconnected and interwoven into the fabric of life, into the ecosystems and the biosphere that we happen to be part of. 
we've come with our conceptual minds and our industrialization and our um, philosophies and ideologies and delusion to think of us as a species as um, different, separate, above uh, life. And um, we are coming to see the peril of that worldview, what the Buddha would call the michaditi, a wrong view, that we are separate, that we are, that we are independent from life. And his teachings on anatta, on not-self, was to point to the reality that we are interdependent, interconnected, interpenetrating, interwoven with life. We inter-are, as Thich Nhat Hanh said, would say, or we intra-are, as some uh, eco-psychologists would say. <clears throat> and one of the things that's, that's needed right now is a, is a radical waking up of human consciousness to realize our intimate interdependent with life, interdependency with life. And there's nothing like going outside to feel that, to see that, to hear that, to get it in your bones, just as every good biologist and forester and mountaineer and ecologist and botanist and ornithologist and many other uh, fields would, would uh, speak to. <clears throat> And we are having to relearn what we've forgotten, which we, which as a species we knew for thousands of generations of our interwovenness with life. I don't know about all, but often in indigenous culture, there's no word for nature because in the same way that if fish could swim, they probably wouldn't have a word for water because they're in it and of it. And so we've tended to remove ourselves and objectify nature as something other to be used, to have dominion over, to be extracted, to be utilized, to be counted. And so um, I feel like the, when we bring our mindfulness practice, Dharma practice, contemplative practice into the outdoors, we have a lovely, beautiful, radical uh, invitation to shift that worldview in a visceral embodied way and it's one of the reasons that I do the work that I do which is taking people out into nature into the woods in silence with a contemplative mindful reverent spirit and that that training of the mind through mindfulness, through awareness practice, through embodiment allows a sufficient sensitivity and receptivity and openness to be, to receive, to be touched, to be known. And in that intimacy, in that sensory knowing, we can start to uproot these uh, delusions of separation, these misperceptions of isolation.
these misnomers of um, being independent. Mm. And so, <clears throat> so I invite all of you to take your zafu, your cushion, your bench, your chair, your whatever your practice is, and shift your backside outside <laughs> into your garden, onto a deck, into a park, into the woods, on a balcony, sitting with a tree if that's all there is. I know some of you live in the city and there's not much nature around and so you may need to go to a park or something or sit with a plant on your desk. It doesn't take much. I have lilies in my house and all these uh, orchids bringing, bringing nature inside, succulents. And it's amazing how even just the smallest leaf can transmit something of its presence to, to us. But if we have the blessing and the time to go outside, then we can begin to feel into that interrelationship. It's a beautiful poem from David Wagoner called Lust, which I believe was drawn upon two Native American stories. And he's talking about going into the forest. And he says, and so I, maybe you can, if you want, just imagine the last time you were in a forest or by some trees and uh, you can uh, sense this, this poem coming from the forest. And the poem goes, stand still the trees ahead and the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here. You must treat it as a powerful stranger. You must ask permission to know it and be known. Listen, the forest whispers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again saying here, here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two bushes are the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. So this is a very different understanding right normally we go we would say colloquially or conversationally to a friend i'm going for a walk in the forest i'm going to take a stroll in the woods right? i this me that's separate is going to go walk in that bunch of trees over there and and then come out and um that's one way of describing that experience Another way of describing that experience is we are coming into relationship. We are always in relationship and our relationships are changing depending on where we are. In human relationships, at times we might be a mother or a child or a sibling or an uncle or a teacher or a student or many, many roles. What would it be to walk in the forest and sense yourself as the forest walking through itself, knowing itself through you? 
that you are the forest knowing itself through you what it would be to sense that you are the earth you are the earth's moving surface you are two-legged form of the earth surface moving which we are right? we talk about we live on the earth right? as if we're not from the earth as if the very food that we eat, right? Think about the food that you ate today. I happen to be staying in a place in, in Esalen, Big Sur, where the food comes from about 50 yards away from the farm. And I, my body is now becoming Big Sur Earth. Like all the microorganisms that transmuted nutrients that were drawn up into the lettuce and the tomatoes and the radishes and whatever else i ate today here and that's becoming my tissues and my skin and my muscle and bones and eyes and i was teaching this retreat this last weekend and uh we were on this farm, this beautiful farm in, in uh, West Marin, in just north of San Francisco. And we were drinking from the spring on this land. And we were there for three days and it was very hot. So we were sweating profusely. So we were hydrating profusely. And um, I imagine over those three days that much of our body was mostly spring water so as i drink this water right we think oh it's water from a bottle comes from the tap right which i got from my home which is this is rain and like when ticknut hand holds up a piece of paper and he says what is this and you say a piece of paper duh and he says, no, it's clouds and sunlight. And I hold up this very decrepit water bottle <laughs> from my backpacking. And what, what is in here, it's rain. It's, it's Sierra snowmelt, mostly. It's evaporated ocean. This water may have probably, with the, the, the way the storms move here, probably was not long ago in Alaska, probably passed through a whale or a shrimp. And prior to that was probably pushed through from, uh, from Japan or China or the South Pacific. But we look at it and go, no, it's just a piece of water from, you know, from my tap, from my bottle <laughs> that I drink and piss out and it's got nothing to do with me. And actually becomes my tears and my saliva and my sweat and my blood and as we inhale right take a deep breath ideally you're hopefully there's a window open you're not just breathing in stay alive but at some point that air has come in right and breathe out take a big out breath <sighs> that out breath in five days will travel the entire world 
that out breath may be being inhaled in five days by people in Shanghai, by people in Perth in Western Australia, by people in the Ecuadorian rainforest, by people in Borneo in the jungle, or people up in the, in the Inuits in the Arctic Circle. And that all sounds very romantic and nice, but it's actually true. It takes five, it can take five days for our breath to uh, meander the atmosphere. And so as we explore this sense of interconnectedness, um, so I just led this wonderful event that th I think since I last was here called the Nature Summit. It was uh, an amazing uh, online conference with 21 thousand people register some of you may have showed up you can still watch it go to the naturesummit.com and we interviewed 33 speakers on nature on the environment on poetry and art and activism and indigenous wisdom and health and healing and science and and one of the um the uh, conversations i had um uh I lost my train of thought. Why am I telling you about the Nature Summit? So many things to say about Nature Summit. Anyhow, it's full of amazing conversations about the earth and ecology and knowing our place in the scheme of things. I still can't remember what I was, why I was saying that. <laughs> Anyhow, you can check it out and watch some of the interviews. Maybe you'll figure out what I was trying to say. But, but a lot of that was exploring our intimate interdependence. Oh, yes, right. I was in a conversation with Paul Hawken and, um, you know, and the way that the mind abstracts things, we abstract something as big as climate change and global warming and, and the pollution in the atmosphere. And, and he, he does this thing, he waves his hands and he says, this, this is the atmosphere. As you exhale, you're influencing the atmosphere. You're putting carbon into the atmosphere. The atmosphere and us and our lungs are not two separate things. Right? We think of the atmosphere as out there and coal mines and, and, and coal power stations polluting the atmosphere, putting carbon into the atmosphere. We put carbon into the atmosphere. We are the atmosphere. We are part of the earth. And in that way, as microscopically infinitesimally small as we are we all we are also part of the biosphere influencing the biosphere and being influenced by it and so as we as i said as we go outside and we feel into this this intimacy with the 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 ecology and the ecosystems that we're living in, we can start to feel less separate. I was visiting my uh, my parents, my aging parents in uh, aging. I say aging parents as if they're aging and I'm not aging. But <laughs> uh, my parents and family who I haven't seen for a long time because of COVID, as I'm sure most of you haven't either. And um, and they're very keen gardeners. And my, my father particularly is a very keen vegetable gardener. And 
and it's just beautiful to be eating food from the earth and having that connection with land and planting seeds and watching this miracle of life of a seed growing into an aubergine or a um, you know a kale leaf or a flowering fruiting strawberry and so we want to shift our our abstractions of concepts of say dependent origination which is a key teaching of the buddha of understanding how everything is inter intimately interconnected and dependent on each other to actually being a very lived visceral experience this is a poem from um uh poet called Taylor Kent White uh, exploring sort of the macro um, the macro system of the macro picture of how interconnected we are it goes like this one night when you were just a star someone hung every hope every wish every dream they ever had from your limbs so if you ever feel inferior ever start to doubt your beauty or brilliance just remember this you have constellations lining the cathedral walls of your chest your heart and the sunlight pouring through your skin you are a symphony of stardust and you were born to shine you are a symphony of stardust stardust and you were born to shine i love that we're all symphonies of stardust and it's true the earth constellated through exploding who knows what stars supernovas um, and we're basically a whole bunch of dust that's constellated in particular organic ways um, and so when you look up at the night stars or the sky tonight as I hope you might peek out the window or go into your garden or wherever you are to see that the stars and the Space and the vastness of the universe is not separate from the that which is perceiving it that which is knowing it <clears throat> so the Buddha said after many of his teachings he would say that now you've heard the Dharma there are trees and there are the roots of trees go meditate there lest ye regret it later there are the trees and the roots of trees. Go meditate there lest you re regret it later. So as I mentioned, I was teaching this nature retreat. Um, well, the last few actually been in the forest. Uh, one of them was in the forest. One was in the farm. But because of the heat, we had to sit in the shade and um, was sitting under the gracious shade of a, um, a black walnut tree, which is native to California. And um, in this beautiful, you know, wide girthed uh, trunk of a walnut, tall and majestic, and um, and there's something very powerful about sitting at the root of a tree. The retreat I led a few weeks ago at a friend's new re new retreat place called Camp Ernest. We were sitting at the root of um, sugar pines, beautiful 200-foot sugar pines, like ponderosa pines, really t straight like arrows. 
and just majestic and and they're like cathedral um, columns and there's something very powerful about the presence of these ancient living beings where I'm here there's a canyon with uh, redwoods coastal redwoods that have been scorched many times, including recently twice by fires. And there's a fire burning up the hill as I talk. Uh, fire in, um, I forget what it's called. Uh, uh, it's near Tassajara Zen Center, up in the mountains here, not far. As a, you know, um, and this just, you know, to be in the presence of old trees, redwoods, sugar pines, maples, beech trees, as I was sitting by in England. There's something powerful about being with a living presence that's been rooted and grounded for decades and often centuries. And there's a presence with many, many mothers. Well, Everything has presence, and some things have a very particular presence. And I can understand the more I spend time in the forest, the more I understand why the Buddha said, go sit at the root of trees, lest you regret it later. So we can feel something palpable. You know, I... I I'm slowly in my in my practice, really, as as I deepen my own sensitivity to nature, which has you know taken a long time to um, unpeel the density and the occlusions that that I grew up with, um, and we all grew up with, I think, mostly, and um, beginning to much more deeply sense the, the spirit of things, the living presence of things, just as many indigenous elders and teachers will speak to that Lynn Twist on, on the summit, she told this story. She was called by the Atwa Indians um, who were previously uh, uncontacted tribe uh, before the 90s when she had contact with them. And she was led into the deep into the jungle by a, an elder uh, shaman uh, in of this tribe. And they're walking deep into the forest and it's suddenly, he, he stopped suddenly and looked at her with sort of some intensity. And she thought, oh, there must be something, um, you know, something wrong or there must be a predator or something to be wary of. And he looks at her intensely and he says, do you see it? Do you feel it? And she's like, uh, what? It's like, everything is alive. Everything is alive. The stones, the stream, the leaves, the trees, the rocks, everything has presence. And as we open up our sensitivity, we feel that. And as we feel that, we feel um, we can feel the impact of that that's humbling and deeply connecting 
and we see that everything in its aliveness and its presence has something to teach us. And we're only just beginning to discover the profound and wondrous intelligence of life. And mystics and teachers have known this for millennia. This is from John Muir, one of the early teachers. As he, as he spent time in the, the mountains, in the forests of the West, and he said, climb the mountains and get their good, get their good tidings nature's peace will flow into you as sunshine flows into trees the wind will blow their freshness into you the storms their energy while cares will drop off you like falling leaves So I invite you in these coming days to step outside to some of you are already sitting in your gardens, but to go into your garden, to go into a nearby park, to walk your neighborhood and see the trees, shrubs, bushes, skies, hills, flowers. As Mary Oliver says in a poem, she says, it doesn't have to be a wild blue iris. It could be a few weeds in a vacant lot. Just pay attention. And then gather up a few words and it doesn't have to be poetic, just some words that express your gratitude this knowing, this intimacy. So one of the beautiful things that happens as we cultivate mindfulness and awareness is we become more sensitive. I like to think of it as becoming more porous, less um, defended, less boundaried. And so in that we can feel the teachings that are coming streaming at us from all directions at all times about life. And when we get quiet as we do with our meditation practice, particularly outside, all kinds of teachings become very uh, accessible. So I'm gonna wrap this talk up with a uh, poem, short poem, almost like a haiku, from a uh, Chinese poet, Li Po, who I believe was eighth century or twelfth century, a little while ago, before cell phones. 
before the internet, before industrialization, probably lived a simple life as a hermit, poet, teacher. The Hanshan used to write, inscribe their poems on the barks of um, uh, birch trees. Anyhow, so imagine you're sitting up a mountain or a hillside, or you just happen to have a view of a mountain, but it could be a tree, ideally a mountain or a hillside. And he's gazing at the mountain in this very quiet, meditative presence. And as often happens when we sit outside, the sense of self begins to soften or dissolve. We, we, we can begin to forget ourselves. We lose ourselves in the sensory world. We, we become less ruminative, less obsessed with ourselves. And in this poem, uh, Li Po says, writes, um, The birds have vanished into the sky and the last remaining clouds have faded away. We sit together, the mountain and me, until only the mountain remains. The birds have vanished into the sky and the last remaining clouds have faded away. We sit together, the mountain and me, until only the mountain remains. We sit together, the trees and me, until only the trees remain. We sit together, the clouds and me, until only the clouds remain. We sit together, the Zoom screen, until only the Zoom screen remains. <laughs> Not quite the same. It's a little harder with that. It's a little more reification of dualism. Um, but you know what I mean. There's, you know, We can sit when we can bring that quality of attention to something natural, we can actually lose ourselves and in losing ourselves we discover as Nisaykadatta says um, uh, I can't remember how it goes I'm thinking of something else but we lose ourselves and we, we it's like a portal into sensing that interconnection, into being with life. So, um, so I hope these words are um, helpful, um, hopefully inspiring you to um, take your practice outdoors in some small or large way. If you like, come on a nature retreat. I lead lots of nature retreats. Um, they're at least in this post-pandemic or relatively or becoming less restrictive pandemic. I hate to say post-pandemic because some countries are still in the grip of the pandemic, but at least here in the US and California, um, much less restrictive. <laughs> and um, so I'm starting to lead longer retreats. Um, most of them are full. I do have a new retreat I just opened up in 
where is it? Colorado, Southern Colorado in a beautiful um, uh, near um, Durango at a retreat center, Tara Mandala. They're letting me uh, use the beautiful nature land up in the 8,000 feet. Um, so you can go to my website, markcoleman.org, if you're interested in this nature-based work. There's lots of talks and meditations, and my schedule is on there. And as I've been leading for the last 16 months, a nature sunrise practice, you can join. It's free. I offer it every morning or one of my Awaken the Wild teachers and uh, give these um, uh, sunrise med mindfulness meditation nature teachings, 7.30 in the morning Pacific time. Um, also starting my Mexico retreats back up again. I lead these kayaking meditation retreats. We've got one coming up in November, one in March. But mostly, please uh, continue your practice. And if you feel inspiration to sit outside and sit with an open awareness. And if you'd like instruction, the, the daily sunrise meditations, can you can get some nature-based meditation instructions, as I was pointing to a little today. All right, friends, lovely to be with you. Many blessings. Enjoy your evening and rest and uh, see you at this class again soon. And uh, the, um, Jan has posted some links if you want to, links for my website or the Nature Summit, um, or my book, Awaken the Wild. There's some information there. Otherwise, be well. Take care. Much love. <clears throat>